This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Catherine Klein, the Vice Dean for Social Impact at the Wharton School. I'm delighted today to be talking with Sonal Shaw, President of the Asian American Foundation, a recently launched foundation, and we'll be talking about their mission, why this foundation, and what it hopes to achieve. But first, a little background about Sonal. Uh, Sonal is a leader who has been has played prominent roles in academia, in government, and uh, the private and philanthropic sectors. She founded and led Georgetown University's Beck Center for Social Impact and Innovation. She was part of the Obama White House, where she was director of the White House Office of Social Innovation and Civic Participation. She was uh, a member of Google.org, where she headed uh, initiatives focused on impact investing. And prior to that, she was with Goldman Sachs. So a a series of terrific jobs, important uh, jobs, and, and now this new and important job. So congratulations on your appointment, Sonal, and thanks for joining us. Oh, Catherine, it's such a pleasure to be joining you. And, you know, it's been great that we've known each other over all these years and even watching how much Wharton Social Impact has grown. It's been amazing to see what you've done with it. So what a pleasure. Thank you so much. And back at you. It's amazing to see all that you have accomplished and um, your new launch at the head of the Asian American Foundation. You know, I'm struck as I've... um, Even some of the wording on your website, you know, as a new organization, I know how important it is to get the mission right. And then, you know, one tries, is this our mission? Is this our statement? Is this our statement? So a few different statements. I want to comment on some of the things that it says about what this new foundation is setting out to achieve and have you even just help us understand this mission. So uh, on your website, the mission is to serve the Asian American and Pacific Islander community in their pursuit of belonging and prosperity that is free from discrimination, slander, and violence. Uh, we were founded to solve for the long-standing lack of investment and resources provided to Asian American Pacific Islander communities, and we strive to be a catalyzing force for creating a permanent and irrevocable sense of belonging for the 23 million Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders living in the United States. So lots to even unpack there, but one of the things that's striking to me is The words belonging are very prominent here in uh, this mission. Tell us about your mission. Why belonging? Yeah, um, and it's such a a great place to start this conversation, Catherine. I think, um, you know, when we first started uh, the foundation, the idea was really addressing the anti-hate sentiments against Asian Americans. But when we start digging deeper, the bigger question is how are Asian American Pacific Islander communities seen as American? And that is really about belonging. How do we create a sense of belonging that no matter where your origins, no matter where your families might come from, we are all at the end of the day American. And we might participate in different ways and we might um, have different backgrounds that we bring to it and heritages that we bring to it. But really we came to the United States for a sense of belonging. Um, And that's so important. So we want the belonging piece, we want the prosperity piece, but also recognizing that um, the hate piece is also what's making us feel like we're not part of the country and and that people don't see us as Americans. So I think that's why the depth of that um, conversation is so important. And, and, uh, And as I've said before to my own colleagues, 
I think the belonging is the most hopeful thing we will do because creating a multicultural country requires everybody feeling like they belong in the United States and that they're contributing to the growth of the United States. Mm -hmm. And do you think the threats to this sense of belonging are greater, that, that the sense of belonging has been you know, significantly challenged and was quite different 10 or 15 years ago? Or is this a, a you know, is this a longstanding issue that's only more prominent now? Or have there, you know, or have there been significant threats to this sense of belonging recently? Or in some ways, all of the above? Yeah, I mean, um, for the Asian American community, it's been around for a while, right? The Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1800s was created to ensure Chinese Americans did not bring their families to the United States. The incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II, um, Japanese Americans, though American, those serving in the military were seen as not American at that moment in time and were put into uh, camps. And so I think recognizing that the sense of Asian Americans, especially, and I can't speak for every other community, I'm really speaking for the Asian American community, is really that um, we're seen as the perpetual foreigners, we're the perpetual outsiders. And I think every immigrant community at some point has probably faced that, but this has been going on for generations. It's not a, it's not the first time this has happened that we're seeing it, you know, post um post the virus, but we're seeing this, you know, in the past, this has been a historical set of conversations. So I, I think uh, in 1982, Vincent Chen was murdered because he was a Chinese uh, American that was murdered because people thought he was Japanese and the Japanese were taking over the auto industry. And that was sort of the conversation then, but it's the constant perpetual foreigner myth as opposed to not seeing uh, Asian Americans as American. Got it. And and I want to um, continue with this, mentioning the, your mission and vision. I also want to highlight uh, the vision on your website. So the vision is an America where opportunities to participate in all aspects of society are equally accessible and individuals and communities are not rendered invisible nor singled out for false stereotypes, discrimination, or hate on the basis of race. And, and here, I think I want to focus on the, the, first, the, the first two parts. The third part is not singled out for false stereotypes, discrimination, or hate on the basis of race. I think that's something that, you know, when I think of racial discrimination in this country, ethnic discrimination, that's broadly applicable. But there seems like there's something very interesting and, and worth uh, exploring about um, the opportunity to participate in all aspects of society. And, um, and individuals and communities are not rendered invisible. So help yeah. us understand that vision and why those words, why these elements? Yeah, I think, I think um, again, it sort of goes back a little bit to the mission, but bringing back to the vision on this is, is being able to equally be seen as American, no matter what the spaces you might be in, whether it's in the arts or whether it's in film or whether it's in um, business or in other places, we tend to stereotype groups in that this is where your scientists or your doctors or your whatever, you know, your business people um, 
but but we as humans are all of those things, right? It may be it might be that we participate in all of those pieces, but recognizing that we should be a part and seen as a part of all of society and be able to actively engage, not just politically, but socially and economically and and culturally. And that's I think a, a big part of that vision that we want to put out that we see others. We not only see ourselves in that space, but see others in that space and making sure we can do it. And that and that it sort of goes back to again to the belonging piece and that and that really um, what we're looking at is how how do we show an America that is actively engaging all parts of society and Asian Americans feel a part of it. It's also empowering for the community itself. We it's not just what others do to us, but what we do and how we actively engage in that and and not fall into those false stereotypes one way or the other, but see ourselves as the power to do and participate in all aspects of society. Right. And while I'm listening to you, I'm struck by um, another statistic that is, is, again, is prominent on your website that uh, recent research suggests that one in four Asian Americans have experienced a hate incident and 64%, so almost two thirds, have been asked, where are you really from? Yeah. To the, you know, so how this might show up for individuals who are Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, this sense of you don't quite belong, we don't quite see you as American. Yeah, and, and, and that's sort of that invisibility piece that we were talking about with the website. It's like, I get asked that question all the time, Catherine, and, and it's not a political question, right? It's, it's from progressives as well as conservatives, as well as everyone in between. I get asked that question all the time, where are you from? And I'll say Texas. And then somebody will be like, no, but where are you really from? And I'll say Houston. And then they'll sort of, it then goes down to, and I ask, then I end up having this question, are you asking what my heritage is? Uh, because if that's the question, then we're happy. I'm always happy to have that conversation. But when you're not seen as American because people want to know where you're from, it sort of begs this question of like, am I always going to be seen as not from here or right. not from the United States? And I think that's a lot of people um, get asked those questions. But also, I think um, this question of one in four um, Asian Americans have, in, have have felt an Asian Americans don't generally report hate incidents. Yet, like when you do these sentiment analyses, you start to get the feeling that people get where they feel they're being discriminated. It's not talked about. It's not a group that people people generally stereotype as a successful. So therefore, they're like, you must not face hate. And this question of what does hate feel like and what that means is is sort of, I think, what that research was trying to get at is like, what is the sentiment that people are feeling? Not necessarily the words, but the words are sort of, every time people use these words or where are you from or what do you do or where's, you know, uh, what language do you speak? It's those questions are sort of always making you feel of the other. So let's unpack some of the kind of key facts that that uh, people should understand and that are you know an important part of your your work in the foundation is exploring these facts, understanding these facts, and taking a- appropriate action. Um, so I'm interested in you kind of sharing information about some facts and then and then talking about what are their implications. What should we understand about this? So one of them that we'll start with is that. Um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are, uh, you know, are themselves a diverse community. A large popu- a group of this population um, have family in, in China, India, the Philippines, Korea, and others. So this is a diverse group. What should we understand about that? What are the implications? Yeah, uh, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders are over 40 different ethnicities, 20 different Pacific Islander communities that when we lump 
a group which is largely a political census oriented group um, into one category, we assume everybody is the same and has the same sentiments. I think recognizing that each of these communities has different backgrounds and different histories and different sentiments that they come with and, 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 and historical perspectives. So understanding that uh, matters because each of us face different sets of whether it's discrimination or belonging or issues economically, we're all coming from different backgrounds. We're not all in the same spaces. And, and you know, the Filipino community, um, many of them are in the nursing profession or many of them are in the caregiving profession. The Indian American community, when we were allowed to immigrate in the 1960s and 70s, were largely engineers and doctors, but that's who we were letting in for immigration. So understanding that background matters too. The newer generation that tends to come in in the South Asian and other communities tend to be uh, H-1B visas because they have a specific skill set. Um, that doesn't mean that's all who we all are and the next generations are not gonna, are going to be the same, but understanding that the Vietnamese community, a lot of them came um, as refugees into this country, recognizing that matters. Um, you know, So each of us have different backgrounds and we bring all of our different backgrounds to America. And when you lump everybody into the same categories, you don't understand the diversity of the background while we might face very similar challenges, we also have a lot of diversity that we each bring to our own uh, to our own selves, okay. and and understanding that matters, and that's why a data disaggregation matters a lot to understand who we all are and what we bring to the table. I think the Latino communities have the same issues. Like no no one Latino community is the same, right? They're all you're from Central America, even within Central America, it's a diverse set of population. So recognizing that there is a full diversity. And not lumping everybody into that matters, even though we might be 23 million Asian Americans. And then um, the Asian American community is the um, is recording the fastest population growth among all racial and ethnic groups in the United States in the last 20 years. What's the implication of this? That this is a fast growing group of people. So we're 3.5 times faster growing than other communities, uh, just to keep that in mind. And as you think about uh, birth rates and other things that happen over time, it's a very fast growing. Our second generation is growing faster now than our first generation. So there's there's implications even within that uh, politically, socially, culturally, you know, there's lots of different implications that come with that. So what that means is um, recognizing politically that we're also figuring out who we are as a community and how we might engage differently within, within the society that we're in. Culturally, which professions are we going into in different places? It's not, not gonna just stay in one, one set of professions. We're, we're expanding out to multiple professions. You see a lot of Asian Americans in public service. You see a lot of Asian American growth in, in the culture and the arts. Um, so there's lots of places that we're, we're gonna see growth and, and understanding that growth rate is also just understanding our own power. Ah, mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, you highlight, others highlight the, the very large income gap yeah. between the, the wealthiest uh, and poorest uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Talk to us about that gap. And again, what are the implications as you think about you know, your work with the foundation? 
So macroeconomically, it's always easy to say, you know, Asian Americans are the highest income earners. They, you know, sit statistically higher than others. There's a lot of macro data, but when you start looking at the micro data, you start seeing the gaps, right? The, the, the gap between the highest earners and the lowest earners is huge amongst the Asian American community. I'm, I think it's almost 10 times if I'm not wrong. Um, and, and recognizing how do we help those communities and what happens a lot in, in, in uh, government and other places is we don't see the bottom 10% as much as we see the top 10%. So all the policies are geared towards the top 10 and not looking, and, and, and again, overseen, overlooked communities that we don't see the poverty in the Asian American communities, the lack of access to finance, the lack of opportunity, um, the lack of being even seen in the diversity space, because you get lumped into this sort of bigger category of you're the successful minority group. And what happens is it also pits minority against each other. Oh, you're the successful minority, not the unsuccessful minority. And that is not true. There's a lot in between. There's a lot of middle class. There's our lower middle income class. There's also lower income classes. So understanding that diversity is also important, but that that income gap is actually very wide and, and recognizing that that's important and that we as a community need to address it. So as the foundation, we need to recognize that and bring others along with us to invest in the lower income communities, even in our own communities, uh -huh. but seeing even within our own communities, what we're missing and where we need to be investing matters. So I think that's something that we as a foundation will be doing, but it's also something that we want to bring others along with us to do. Uh -huh. And then the last a uh, fact that I wanted to explore is the experience of hate incidents. Um, as I said, you know, one in four Asian Americans have experienced a hate incident, uh, which is really a, a shocking number. Um, you know, as you've taken on this role as, as president, uh, the first president of this foundation, Tell us what you're, you know, what you've learned about this. Maybe, um, you know, again, the statistic itself is shocking, but I'm wondering um, you know, as you hear about others' experiences, as you hear about children's experiences, what is this experience? What, you know, what yeah. should we envision? I mean, I, I, again, as, I, as I'm having this conversation, I, I just feel like there's a lot that many of us, maybe this is me and my own privilege, don't understand. But if, to the extent that this is true of others, of other listeners, I'd like us to understand more. It is um, highly underreported in Asian American communities of hate incidents. We're sort of, um, I think in many immigration immigrant groups, we're sort of taught to just grin and bear it. Like don't make waves where there aren't waves to be made. Um, just keep your head down and work. We're all you know, I experienced that with my own family. Um, I think there's a new generation that thinks differently about this, but for many of us, that's that's how we were brought up. And so what you see across the um, across the Asian American communities is a high underreporting of hate incidents. And that might be the way someone talks to you. It might be the way uh, someone behaves with you. It might be just other incidents of a lot of children getting bullied in schools, parents, uh, a lot of parents do not want to send their kids back to school in the fall because they're afraid of bullying for their children and what that's going to mean in schools. So like this is not a, a small set of problems. And, and I think in, in other communities like the Jewish American community, this is a talked about conversation, right? Having hate incidents talked about in schools is, is something that we do talk about anti-Semitism. For Asian Americans, it's not a conversation that's had. It's not between parents and kids. It's not between yeah. kids and other kids. So this is 
is sort of important that um, having this exposure and being able to talk about it and saying Asian Americans also face hate incidents. And it's important to recognize where that bullying is coming from, because to address it, we need to recognize it. Um, without recognizing it, we don't address it. And so, and so uh, families need to report. We're trying to get more families to report hate incidents when they feel them. So we know what the incidents are, not to necessarily go to authorities, but at least understanding where that is. So if I take that one in four incidents, now it's a question of what is that? How are you being addressed? What does that hate incident look like? So then we can get the understanding of what that data is and what that information is. And then also with children in schools, what does bullying look like? How does it affect Asian American communities? And then how do we build curriculum to help address that? But in the absence of not understanding it, we can't actually address the challenges. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the Asian American Foundation, as I said, launched officially uh, back in May um, and launched at the time with $125 million committed in funding. And then you very, very rapidly raised, uh, you know, raised that, that total to a billion dollars. Can you share what are the implications even of that? Like that, uh, I hear those numbers and hear that fundraising, and it's like, wow, this was a uh, you know a cause um, waiting for someone to lead it. You, you touched a nerve. There was a you know a well of support. So, what do you make of this huge amount of funding that you've been able to attract, and what are you going to do with it? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think what was interesting in this is that people were looking for an organization that could actually bring people together and bring organizations together. So one thing we did do and made sure of is like, it's public, private, and nonprofit dollars. Like we didn't want to, we don't want to take away from the community itself, but we also know that the private sector matters and other foundations and philanthropy matters too. So one requirement that we had when we first started was not to separate those dollars and make sure that that happened. Our board first committed $125 million themselves. Then we matched that $125 million with other money. And the billion dollar number, it's important to parse this out. It's corporations that make commitments to give money themselves, some of it through TAF and some of it through themselves, but they, they want to know what they could match with us or what other things they could be thinking about. They want to understand that themselves. Foundations made commitments, but not again through us, but directly that they would do more. So the billion dollars, 10% actually goes to TAF, but the 90% actually goes to communities themselves. We do not want to be seen as taking away from the community. We want to be able to see as an accelerator and enhancer for the community. Um, and, and to be a part of that. So what, what the money and the announcement was is more money to Asian American communities. There's another fact on this, right? Which is the Asian American communities from foundations only get 0.5% of foundation resources. For, for 23 million people, that's 0.5%, that's tiny. So billion dollar announcement was like, how do we bring more money to our communities, more money and a commitment from corporations, from foundations, from community foundations, from philanthropy to communities that have been under-resourced over time and have them visible and seen. So people do pay attention as to, you know, how their employees are being treated, who's being, who's being put up in advertisements, what's, are, what's being sponsored, what's not being sponsored, um, what more should we be doing in communities. That's what we wanted to do with that billion dollars. Got it. And so what will be the work and the focus? What is the early work and focus of TAF? So three areas of work. So ourselves as TAF, uh, the three parts, we're going to be a funder, 
uh, will be an incubator. So where we see gaps in the marketplace, we will actually be operating in those spaces and we will be a convener. We wanna make sure we're bringing the communities together, both within the Asian American community, but also with other communities. Like we shouldn't, we can't other ourselves. We have to also uh, be inclusive. Um, and, and within the work that we do on funding, uh, we have four areas of work that we wanna focus on. So area one, anti-hate. So really focusing and tracking data, uh, responding to hate incidents, uh, working towards prevention of hate incidents, not just being in the in the in the response space. Uh, the second area of work is uh, research and data, a little bit of what we've already talked about, which is how do we disaggregate data about our community? So we're actually making the investments where they're needed and not just making lump sum you know, uh, statements, but actually uh, investing in the areas and communities that were needed, but understanding our own communities. And then the third area of work is education. Asian American education is not even seen part of the education system. So how do we work with teachers, with publishers and others to say, uh, look at Asian American history as a part of American history okay. and how we help make sure curriculum is available and making sure other data is available so that that matters and then the last piece is increasing philanthropy to Asian Americans so how do we constantly just keep the drumbeat going that there is Asian American communities should be seen as a part of American communities to be invested in and 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 increasing philanthropy both from Asian Americans but also others to make sure that that, that the community is being um, seen from philanthropy as well as government. Right. We only have a, a little bit of time left. I'm curious what has surprised you uh, in this journey. Um, you know, I think you you said you were when we talked before that you were, you know, this, this your appointment was in the works, obviously, before it was announced publicly. So you've been at it a little bit longer than uh, TAF has been publicly visible. Um, but what have been the surprises along the way for you as you've uh, embarked on leading this new foundation? So I think three things. I mean, the, well, the first I think is just um, how much the community wanted an organization like TAF. Like when we announced ourselves, a number of people that engaged that wanted some organization that gave that felt that it gave them the power to do whatever they needed to do in their own community. So we hear from corporate uh, ERGs that uh, they feel empowered to ask uh, their own corporations to do more for Asian Americans within the companies. We hear from individuals that they feel like they are empowered to go do more in their own communities and to ask for more and to feel that. So, you know, while it might not be from us itself, but the fact that TAF existed has empowered a generation of people to feel like they can go and ask and feel empowered to do and to be, which I think is so inspiring and so incredible. And I'm so glad that we were able to do that, even with just with a launch. Uh, the second area is I think we've shown um, both our own community and others how we can bring the power of community together to raise awareness about a set of issues. Uh, and this, in this case, the Asian American community raise awareness about those set of issues that the community feels is important and, and are feeling seen. And that has been incredible, that, that, that being seen, that feeling that they are being seen is important and that that is uh, coming together. And then the final place, and I, I, I've been highly surprised, and I think this billion dollar question of how many people wanted to participate. And we still have more people coming to us and saying, what else can we do? How else can we participate? What else can we be a part of? It's been fabulous and amazing and inspiring to see that. And, and, and the recognition that when we bring people together, people want to be a part of something that has hope, 
but is also addressing hate. All both of those things matter equally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and what about for you um, as a leader? I mean, this is a, a fascinating role. You're starting something new and big. You've got uh, you know you've got a board. You're building a team. Lessons learned, things you're reminding yourself as a leader. I need to do this. This is my natural tendency. Let me make sure I also do this. What give give us some insights about uh, or you know lessons you're learning and and trying to remember as a leader. We're still a startup. I mean, I think I have to keep remembering that even though we have all this money, we're still a startup. We still have to go through the process of building, building institutional structures, building board governance structures, that all of that is a startup, right? And and when you're in a startup uh, as an individual, like you're you're still building all of those things along the way, but the expectations of the world that all those things have been built and recognizing that those things still take time and still take effort and we have to work on that together. So I have to constantly remind myself that we're a startup uh, to in a startup, you're also building a team and the team hasn't, and we started in a virtual environment. We didn't start as a team in one place. So how do you build team culture as a part of growth and startup at the same time? We're doing both of those equally at the same time. So how do we build a team culture? How do we make sure we're all sort of doing things together and that information is being transferred on a constant basis and that, you know, everybody's just not living in their silos. So it's a learning. Um, I've never done where I've built a team virtually. So this has been a great learning experience of how to make sure we're constantly talking and that even during towards launch, we had a lot of consultants. How does everybody participate equally so information doesn't fall through the cracks and that we're thinking through that on a regular basis? And then the last piece is giving ourselves the room to to learn along the way and not be seen as, you know, knowing all the answers. And everybody wants you to know where are you going to grant? How are you going to do this? What's the next thing? And honestly, we're still building that. We're building the steps to that growth stage. Um, and, and, and it's a learning experience, even for me, even though I've done this before, I did this at the White House, it's still a learning experience because it's a new group of players. It's a new group that is still learning alongside you and you have to leave room for that. And not, I tend to want to see five steps ahead. Sometimes you sort of need to be where you are and be okay with where you are, not think about the five steps. Right. I have to say that in my, uh, in my role as vice dean for social impact uh, over the last several years, I've gotten to observe lots of organizations for profit and nonprofit at multiple points over years. And one of the pleasures is, you know, seeing an organization one, two, three, four years later, and often, very, very often, I can see like, wow, they have really grown. They have learned a whole lot. They, you know, I was, I was pretty impressed, but a little skeptical at year one. And, you know, for, for many of the organizations that I, that I see again, that have survived that have grown, it's so impressive what happens. So lots of, lots of reasons for optimism. Um, and then as a final question, and again, recognizing that this is uh, still early days for the Asian American Foundation, when you think about where you want to be five years hence or even longer, what is it that you think would make you say, wow, you know, we've had the impact. We've had impact. We've, we've done a lot. We've accomplished a lot. What would you be looking at that would make you say, you know, like, okay, this is what we set out to do and we've achieved a lot of it. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so just going back to your last question for a second, I think it's important to recognize that we may, you know, as you find with your own social impact ventures, is sometimes you pivot where you started 
and where you end up. And so I think we have to leave room for ourselves to be able to say, we started here, but this is where we're going, given sort of what the needs in the community are and, and what we want to do and what's possible. I think um, in this case, I would say there's a, two things I think are super important. If in, if in five years, um, one, Asian Americans feel like their identity matters. Like they they feel like being an Asian American is an important part of their identity. We all have multiple identities, right? I'm South Asian, I'm Indian, I'm a woman. I am, you know, there's so many identities, but if you can feel proud in being your Asian American identity, I think we will have created something that is outlasting us and is multi-generational because that identity is sort of a political identity, but not yet a social and a cultural identity. So that identity I think is super important. And if people feel pride in that, I think we will have achieved a lot in that process. Two, I think if we can make headway in, in, in being able to talk about anti-hate amongst our communities of what it feels like and how do we participate, how do we actually um, actively engage in, in not just reporting, but in the belonging portion of this, that if people feel empowered, Again, we will have achieved something and maybe we don't have all the perfect metrics, but there's a feeling that also goes with the metrics, right? And if people feel empowered to speak up, if people feel empowered to do something, if people feel empowered to have said, you know, we shouldn't have bullying in schools against Asian Americans, like, I think that is, there's so much success in that because that means that you individually feel powerful, but as a community, you feel powerful to be standing in the United States saying, I too am here and my voice also matters and you're using that voice to make that happen. I think both the identity and the empowerment, I think we would have, we will have gone a very long way. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, wonderful to chat with you and uh, I'm sure we will see your foundation, you in the news over these years and, and um, you know, on this, this noble mission, really important, important work. So thank you so much. Catherine, thank you. And thank you for everything with Wharton Social Impact. I really hope we'll be able to do stuff together too. I think it's important. Uh, there's so much social impact, even in the Asian American communities. I hope we'll be able to do stuff together. Absolutely. Love that. Thank you. Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.